say this with all my heart this morning. And it is good to see you. I wish I could see it more. Not for my sake, but for everybody's sake, because we're family. I know what a big deal family reunions are. I know Diane's family, that, that there's 18 kids, so they invade Deming Park in the summer and take over, and if anybody got in their way, they just roll over, and it's a mean bunch, actually. And I'm ready to tell my wife that one, she's not here, so. But, but they, they didn't see each other. I don't, I don't know, I, I can't convey the feelings enough how it's important that we see each other more than just a few times, if it makes sense to you. And of course, I get a little carried away sometimes, and I'm not in charge of the calendar, but I was thinking about creating about four major holidays more a year so we could see each other more. So I just wanted to throw that in this morning. So I, I do mean that. We, I don't think we can grasp how much uh, that we, we need each other as the body of Christ. We gather here today, as Pastor Jeff said, to celebrate the birth of Christ. And we somewhat are like the Magi. We, we come to hopefully worship and adore Him, that, that we lay our gifts at our feet, and what do the gifts that you and I have to give Him? Our time, our talent, and our treasures. He, he wants our lives. Christ brought us gifts at Christmas, and in the expression of praise in the first chapter of Revelation, John gives this doxology to Christ. He's, he set down in stupendous splendor and sublime simplicity. These are the gifts of Christmas. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the commander of all the rulers of the world. What a sentence! The commander of all the rulers of the world. All praise to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us his kingdom and his priests, who serve before God his Father, give to him everlasting glory. He rules forever and ever. Amen. He rules forever and ever. Amen. He gave us three gifts. Here's the first one. His love. It's one of the greatest gifts that Christ brought to us is the gift of love. But what kind of love is it? First, it's an embracing love. Notice the order John used in our text. Jesus did not say, first of all, liberate us and lift us up to a new life as kings and priests and then decide that he would love us. The love came first. Romans 5, 8 is a tremendous verse that, that I can't grasp. God commands his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the message of Christmas, but we didn't deserve it. We had no right to expect it, and we were yet in our sin when Jesus loved us and came to us and put his arms around us and embraced our lives. And how different that is from the rest of the religions in this world. In Islam, the Muslim believer urgently believes that he or her has to make a pilgrimage to Mecca once in his lifetime as part of his search for God. And if you can't go as a Muslim, you can send someone else. But nonetheless, somebody has to show up in front of the Kaaba stone in your name, and, and that's, that's what they believe that is in there. That's part of their journey, so to speak. The Buddhist is encouraged to withdraw from humanity and meditate upon his soul until he finds God in isolation. The Hindu is challenged to get off the wheel of incarnation through moral living and enter into the nirvana, a place of absorption in the divine spirit of the universe. They believe that if you start as a bug and you 
you live as a good bug, then you become a, a higher state of in the animal kingdom, and finally you get to the point where you finally get to be a human, and you, you don't want to mess that up, because if you mess that up, you've got to go back to being a bug again. That is why cows are sacred. It might be their relative. That, and I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's reality. That's, they do believe that, and that's their belief. In every other religion, is man seeking God, jumping through hoops, doing these steps. In Christianity, the message that erupts from that dark Judean night long ago is that God seeks man. His love comes to us. It's an embracing love. Do you remember when you first acknowledged Christ or even knew that he was talking to you? I didn't ask for him to come in my life. Actually, the way I lived my life, it was the farthest thing from God. I had one main goal in life, and that was to have fun. That was it. Nothing else mattered. If I could make it fun, or if I could laugh, I was a happy camper, and it didn't matter how you got there. But God came and embraced me, and while I was a sinner, a heathen, call it pagan, call it what you will, he, he saw this amazing thing to me. He saw crossroads down the road. He knew that as the Holy Spirit pounded upon this heart that, that one day I would bow the knee to him and acknowledge him and this would come to be. This love is also an excusing love. Notice the word that the writer of Revelation used in the Greek text. It's agape. There's different loves in the Scripture. The Greek has different loves. This is the highest. This is a love that is willing to think the best for us and want the best for us, always. A love which is willing to wipe out the past and start over with the present. Agape love is willing to embrace us today regardless of what we've done yesterday. You're not going to find love like that anywhere else, friends. Because we're conditional. It's a kind of love that Christ loves us completely and totally unconditional. It's something that it's hard for us in these finite minds to, to grasp that. And know this today, that you can't do any more or any less to make God your lovely, love you any more than he does at this moment. That's a, that's a remarkable statement, but it's true. You can't do any more or any less to make God love you. And a lot of times we think if we give more, if we do more, that God will love us more. That's not true. He'll bless you more. But it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with love. This love is also an eternal love. Notice the tense the King James Version translates incorrectly unto him that loved us. The verb is not in the past tense. It is in the present tense. It should be to him who loves us. To God be the glory forever and ever. Second gift's liberation. A second gift of Christmas is being free this one who loves us also liberates us from our sins by his blood. The King James Version has washed us from our sins. That's not what the oldest manuscripts say. The oldest, most reliable manuscripts have the word loosed or liberated or washed. New Living Translation frees us from our sins. Jesus not only loves us, he sets us free from whatever our life is in bondage realize that probably the vast majority of in 
us in here are in bondage to something. We struggle with. A lot of our struggles come within us and nobody else knows it, not even our spouses. But it's there. It's because we still have that stinking old nature that wants to hang on, that wants to guide, wants to direct us, wants to draw us back into the mud. But that's why we have to stand strong in Christ. But one of the problems with bondage, with anything in our lives, regardless of what that is, and the list is endless, it makes us self-centered. And we focus on ourselves or our addictions. It's all about me. It's what I want when I want it. And if God interferes, it, it upsets me a little bit. The mayor walks together over on the courthouse square. He told us that when we were praying. Because for some reason, Christmas brings not all joy and not all hilarity and not all happiness. It brings sadness and depression. And that's why we're gathered and we're praying for ourselves and people in this community that who have suffered that Christ might be able to fill some of that, that loss, some of that areas in their lives. In the Christmas season, we are reminded again of a peace that we do not experience. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. There is no peace on earth, they say. You think there's peace on earth? Look around. My goodness, our own country and other parts of the world. I could go on and on and on about that. I'll tell you what, my friends. The only peace can be found in your heart through the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only peace you're going to find probably. You know what? There's not even peace in some of our families. There are families that fight and bicker and won't get together this holiday season. There are brothers and sisters that haven't spoke for years. You think that's peace? No, I don't think so. We long for it, though, don't we? It'll be great if peace just invade the earth. Peace will not invade the earth. But Jesus Christ touches his foot on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and it splits in two, and he ushers in the millennial kingdom. And then there'll be peace on earth for a thousand years as he binds that old enemy, the devil, in the bottomless pit. And, and there's no evil on earth, which is hard for these minds, again, to grasp a thousand years on earth with no evil. That, that's, that's, I could get off on another tangent there, but it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to believe. So we're reminded, again, of a peace we do not experience and a joy that we do not feel feel? Christmas is for children. I've always said that. Children's faces, when they, right before they open their presents and their eyes open up on Christmas morning to you that make their children wait until Christmas morning, which I think is a tragedy. I got my Christmas presents on now. Diane bought me some boots. No use to wrap them. Why waste money on wrapping paper for adults? Don't do it. Just give it to them. Say, here, have at it. So, but that's, that's my version of Christmas. Uh, to me, Christmas is all year round, maybe. I don't know, but nonetheless. The joy is not there for some of us. And a brotherhood that we do not have. <laughs> but a brotherhood that we do not have. Pastor Jeff's devoted his life to bring that to be. But there's too way too much bigotry and 
prejudice in this world. How can we get beyond it? The only chance that we have is through the power of Christ. It has to be the Holy Spirit as we look at each other. It's not color of skin. It's how this heart is. And, and that's, that's, that's sad to me. It, it, it's sad that, that I could look at another living, breathing human being and feel ill for them for any reason. That, that's, that's not what that was supposed to be. That's not the way God wired us. But again, that is what we have become. And we have to pray and, and try to alleviate that. More so than any other time of the year, Christmas confronts us with the reality of our bondage, the things that, that hold us back. And muffled, and the muffled carols and the mock hilarity of the season, there sounds this agonizing cry of the multitude in their sin as Paul cried out in Romans 7, 24, Wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of this death? Who will help me escape? Who will set me higher than the things that are dragging me down? And he, he goes on to say, he goes on to say, He will do it, says the writer of Revelation. This one who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, this one named Jesus who loves us with a love that is eternal will loose us from our sin by his blood. Praise God for that this morning. Praise God. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. That's a great psalm, and I believe that to be true. That whatever is holding us down, whatever drags us down, that in the power of Christ, we can rise above that and be free. Man, there's, there's nothing like freedom. Nothing like it. Third gift is lift. It's the third gift that Jesus gives us. He loves us and he liberates us and then he lifts us up. The writer of Revelation puts it this way, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. He saves us, he liberates us, and then he lifts us up. When God liberated Israel from bondage in Egypt. There's two parts of that. There was two movements. The movement out of Egypt and the movement into Canaan. And all the children of Israel, millions, moved out of Egypt. But not all of them moved into the promised land, did they? They get to the banks of the Jordan. They sent them spies in. Twelve spies and two came back, Joshua and Caleb, and they were all that believed that it really was the promised land. I, I like those pictures in children's Bibles. It shows these guys carrying great big things of grapes and all kinds of big stuff. And a land of milk and honey just right across the river. God's promised it to us. Now we need to go in and take it. You know you know the story. Only Joshua and Caleb out of that generation crossed that river. The rest of them died in the wilderness 40 years they wandered for 40 years because of their unbelief, and that generation all died, and they didn't get to see that. You know, everybody that's, that's bowed their knee to Christ has, has crossed that river of salvation. God has forgiven you for your sins. But boy, we get up to the banks where it's the promised land across the river, and 
We haven't made that movement. A lot of us don't experience Christ in His fullness the way that He desires. Because there's too much other stuff in our life that we, ha- we can't set aside is the problem. So we're kind of in the wilderness to a degree. God wants us to lift us up to a new level of existence. Where ecstatic joy and enduring peace and innervating power and exhilarating victory become the everyday experience of our life. A life of adventure that when you get up out of bed in the morning, you are eagerly looking for what God's going to do for you that day. And the windows of opportunity that He's going to open for you to be Jesus in this world. If you get out of bed with that attitude, it's a lot different than getting on and putting your boots on and, and stumbling through that day saying, man, this is just another day. Going through the motions, that's, that's, not, that's not what He wants us to do. The glorious message of Christmas, the pulsating promise of our text, is that there's much more in life than we have experienced. God does not just want us to exist. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, as He goes into people's lives, He does it because He wants to be in on it. He wants to be a part of it. Be lifted up, we have to accept and love and follow and obey Him. Galatians 5 gives us the litmus test to see whether we are living this lifted up life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit of God. We should be living within us, each one of us that claim we belong to Christ. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here there is no conflict If you, my friends, are living lifted up lives, people around you, all people, will witness and experience this fruit from flowing out of us. They are evidences and proofs that we are who we claim to be. Are you who you claim to be? If you're not living for Christ and you claim His name, you're like the Egyptians, the ones that come out of Egypt, the children of Israel. You're in a wilderness. Not a lot of direction in the wilderness. Peterson's message puts this same passage like this. What happens when we live in God's way? It's a question. He brings us gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energy wisely. Follower of Christ, if these fruits aren't coming out of your life daily, I, I, I say you need to pray and refocus on your relationship to Christ, which we all do a lot. Paul started the church in Corinth. And these people were wild people. They had temples there that, if you liked sex, there were free prostitutes. You could go in and have sex 24-7. And if you were gay, either male or female, they had those for you too. We think about temptation in this life today, but you think about that. That the draw and the, and the, the damage that lust does in our lives, and it's all around us. Put yourself in Corinth. We think it's an ancient day that it wasn't there, but 24-7, temple prostitutes, you could go in and do whatever. 
So they had that they had that to fight. There was other problems, but they'd get together and, and uh, do the Lord's Supper together. Some people get left out. Some people wouldn't get to eat. Other people get drunk. God had a problem with that. Paul had a problem with it. That's why he why he wrote this almost a scathing chapter on this to a degree. Paul told the Corinthians, "Hey, you need to examine yourself before you take communion. You need to focus on Christ." And then he goes on to say, "Because you are doing this, many of you are sick." actually physically ill, and many of you are asleep, which God was, he was taking their life, like Ananias and Sapphira, that'd be a whole different deal if he did that today in giving time, but he don't, he could, but these people were dying. So, this morning as we get ready for communion, you in, in the, on the balcony, if you want to go get a cup, you can do that now, we're going to take communion here in a minute. Communion helps us focus on Christ. For just this moment, out of your busy week, you've come and the spotlight is on Christ and His sacrifice for us. So as we pause and we pray and we examine our lives so we can worship and celebrate Christ's great sacrifice for us. First, here's some reminders. Communion is only for followers of Christ. It has no meaning for unbelievers. It means absolutely nothing. You can become a believer right here, right now. Plan of salvation, you hear the gospel, you believe in Christ, you repent of your sins, and you confess, and you're baptized. It's the process, so to speak. You can do that now. You've heard the gospel. Do you believe that Christ is God with skin on? That's a must. You have to do that. You repent of your sins, and you confess. Lord, I repent, I'm going to change, and I know I'm a sinner. I confess these sins in my life. Would your blood cover them and erase them off the face of the earth? And then out of an outward sign of an inward change, we, we, we come to baptism, and there's warm water up there now. I can do it right now if you want. There's baptism after the second service. Here's the warning that Paul gave the Corinthians. So if anyone, this is 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 28. So if anyone eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, that person is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So would you bow your head with me right now? Lord, we come to you now, and I know that, like you know, none of us have probably lived stellar lives this week. We've had bad thoughts, we've said bad things, and some of us have done some things that are completely out of character with you. And I know, Holy Spirit, that you remind us of that right now. And I pray, God, for each one of us, that as we pause in these moments, that you bring that to forefront in our minds and our hearts, and we can confess it, because we want to be clean, Lord. We want to have clean hands and hearts when we partake in this Holy Communion. So right now, Father, help us to be obedient. Holy Spirit, as you speak to our hearts. Thanks, God, for forgiveness and your grace. It's way beyond us. I say this constantly. I don't know if we'll ever be able to grasp your grace and your agape love on this side of the river. 
because it's so unlike us. It's like you because that's who you are. You are love. Father, as we get ready to take this sacrament, may it mean something. May it mean something every time we do it. That we just don't do it out of habit or tradition. We do it because we are eternally grateful for your great gift to us. Did that precious blood of yours flow down that cross into that Judean dirt, Lord, to cover my sin and cover everybody's sin here. May, may we be forever grateful for that. So right now, Lord, as we take this bread that represents your broken body and all the agony that you endured for the likes of us, and for that blood, Lord, may it really sink deep into our hearts. And may it change us. For we ask these things in your precious name.